Praise the Lord. Okay, as you're, as, as you're getting ready to take a seat or trying to find a seat, can I just say a quick thank you very much to everyone who either I have not responded to your texts or your emails. I've been a bit overwhelmed. Um, and you know, sometimes you switch on your phone and you've got like 25 texts or WhatsApps and Instagram messages and, and sometimes you just don't get around to all of them. But can I just say a big thank you to everyone that's been praying for me. I really appreciate it. Um, God has been really good. Um, some of you may not know, but since Christmas, I've just been, I've been um, kind of really, really struggling with my health and went into hospital for a week or so. And um, I sent a pastor E just last night because he was like, Rob, man, he says, you don't have to do this. You don't have to teach. And um, <laughs> it's funny because part of it's a response to your message last week about using our talents, you know what I'm saying? And in recognition of our accountability. Um, but, yeah, I said to him, you know, I feel actually 100% better than I felt a week ago. But at the same time, I'm still not 100%. So if I seem a bit lethargic, forgive me. A lot of what I'm dealing with now is um, the repercussions of a lot of the medication that I'm on. Um, plus, I still got a few more scans and some investigative work. So, yeah, if you could keep me in your prayers, that would be a blessing. But thank you. Um, my name's Robert, um, if we haven't met, and um, along with Pastor E and Pastor Bertram and, and Pastor Neil, I'm one of the elders here, and <clears throat> I've kind of been on a sabbatical for a while and kind of slowly, progressively kind of coming back. If you're with us today, we are going to be starting um, a new mini-series that's going to take us all the way up to Easter, so... I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you can. And <clears throat> while you're turning or swiping, this is the name of our new series. It's called The Death of Death. The Death of Death. <clears throat> and as you see, like the splash logo there that we've been working on, um, it's evidently a picture of an eerie kind of graveyard scene, obviously depicting death. And um, <laughs> me and Pastor E, our favorite one was actually this one. Um, but I showed it to my wife and she said, you can't use that. And um, it's going to offend people. Um, me and Pastor E like this one. And partly because, not just because it's current, but partly because we're running up to Easter. And how many of you know Easter is indicative of Jesus' death on the cross at a place called Calvary, slash Golgotha, slash the place of the skull. So we thought it would work, but we're going to go with the... We'll go with the BGPG version. All right, then. Um, and <clears throat> just looking at that, at that picture, how many of you are spooked by graveyards? couple hands I see going up. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know what I'm saying? I see people walk past the graveyard and they make the sign of the cross. And You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, 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 oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> Rather than raising their voice, everybody begins to speak a little bit more quietly as they go past. And, and it's funny, I was going through past Broccoli Cemetery the other day and just looking at some of the houses, kind of admiring them and partly thinking back to the 90s when you could have bought like a five-bedroom like double-fronted, fully detached house for like 70 grand. I was looking at these houses and thinking, wow. And then I see this, I see this one. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. So people are even be able to focus now, innit? Um, <laughs> um, there was this one house adjacent to Broccoli Cemetery. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what it must be like living in that house, like practically speaking. You know what I'm saying? And then also you've got this, the, the row of houses opposite the cemetery overlooking constantly, regularly, the cemetery. And you can't help but at least consider the issue of death. And I know that you know, we have to be sensitive today because quite a few people are in the process of grieving. Um, <clears throat> yet, we're grateful, as Pastor E prayed earlier, that we don't have to mourn as those who have no hope if we have put our trust in Christ um, because he's conquered death. Jesus has brought about the death of death. I mean, if you know, death is, 
is our most formidable of enemies, if not our greatest enemy. Um, The Bible calls death the last enemy. The death of death. There's a verse you might might not be able to to make it out. Just at the bottom, it's a little strap line that we're going to be using throughout this four or five week series. And it says, it's actually a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. And it says, Jesus has abolished death. I'm going to just let that hang for a second. Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We're going to be coming back to that reference throughout the series. Now today I'd like to focus on um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 26. Um, Hopefully you've turned there. Um, I'm going to read and then I'm going to pray. Like One verse fundamentally we're going to be looking at today. It says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Father, thank you so much for your word and the fact that it has had already impact in our hearts and in our lives and in our minds today. Father, would you continue to allow your word to not just impact us, Lord, but transform us into your desired image, Lord, in order that we might reflect more and more and more of you in and through our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The death of death. How many of you know Christmas, which obviously was quite recently, and Easter, which is approaching, um, arguably the two most important times of the year, right? Major holidays, or should I say, holy days, because originally that's where the term comes from, holiday. Like we think about holiday, we're like, ah, break from work, ah, yeah, hallelujah. You get on a plane somewhere in the sun, lie on the beach, ah, holiday. <laughs> it never really started like that. Those breaks from work, you know what I'm saying, go all the way back to the Sabbath, the rest, that time of taking time out from work to rest and, and recuperate. And it's amazing. Have you ever heard the story about Thomas Cook? You know, Thomas Cook, like the, 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 the travel agent, Thomas Cook, the man himself, going back to 1841, was a Christian. Yeah. And 1841, he was that 32 years old. He was a cabinet maker and also a former Baptist minister. Yo. Thomas Cook was a religious man who believed that most Victorian social problems were related to alcohol and that the lives of working people would be greatly improved if they drank less and became better educated. How many of you know sometimes don't change? Thomas Cook once described himself as the willing and devoted servant to the traveling public. I I recommend that you look up Thomas Cook. The story is amazing. And, um, And see, Christmas and Easter... Holy days, not just holidays. Christmas is a regular reminder of what? The incarnation or the birth of Jesus, our Savior. And then Easter is a regular reminder of the death and the sacrifice of Jesus, our Savior. God became a man at Christmas, quote unquote, for the purpose of dying at Easter. Why? In order that he might abolish death and bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus came to put death to death. So with Easter fast approaching, we're going to go on a four-week journey starting today. Concluding on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. um, And probably including Good Friday. And we're going to focus on, on, on Jesus and his work of redemption as it relates to his conquest of death. And in a world that would rather not speak about the issue, it's easier to ignore it and to pretend it doesn't exist. <clears throat> How many of you know, young people, they want to be old, but they don't want to be older, right? Or should I say they want to be older, but they don't want to be old? That's better. Old people, they want to be young. Again, you know what I mean? And people in the middle go through a midlife crisis. 
Why? Yeah, man said, ouch, yeah. We know all about that, innit, Kane? Yeah, bruv. People say, oh, bruv, look at your beard, man. It's going grey. I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed. No, it's platinum. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got that from Pastor P. Um, thank God for his life. Missed that, brother, man. <sighs> but yeah, we'd rather pretend. And, <clears throat> and as the clock begins to wind down, it's crazy because... Um, I suppose a more contemporary kind of postmodern approach to death, you know what I'm saying, is what? Eat, drink, and be merry. Huh, we're going to come back to that. Did you know that 60% of the population of the UK haven't written a will? 60%. And nearly 40% of over 55s haven't written a will. Is that a a reflection of our collective denial. I mean, everybody recognizes the reality of death, right? I mean, we can't get away from it, just even this week. But what we do is we tend to look the other way when it stares in our face. Well, the Bible doesn't shrink from the issue. On the contrary, someone asked me, I went to do a talk in a place called Limehouse at a church called St. Anne's a couple weeks ago, and... Um, Middle class, predominantly, um, um, yeah, predominantly middle class congregation, and so I had to watch my p's and my q's and try to, like, watch my diction and my pronunciation. Um, <laughs> thank the Lord they did; they got the message somehow. But um, someone jumped up at the end of kind of like my talk and and they said, "Look, can I ask you a question?" And the question they asked me was. What does Christianity offer that other religions don't in regards to death? And um, I was able on the spot by God's grace to, 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 to give him a, a few things to think about. One of the things I talked about is the Bible doesn't duck the issue of death. You know, the Bible mentions the word death 145 times just in the New Testament. 305 times in the Old Testament. So 450 times the Bible makes reference to the word death. And that's not including the word die or died or dead or deceased and every, any other word that's associated. The Bible doesn't duck the issue. The Bible talks about death at, 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 at quite a substantial length. It talks about the origin of death. You know what I'm saying? Like, where did it come from? We're going to talk about that next week. It talks about, the Bible talks about the nature of death, which we'll talk about the following week. The Bible then also, thankfully, talks about the solution to the problem of death, which we're going to build up to come up to Easter Sunday, Easter weekend. Like, see, no other religion offers anything near as substantial an answer to the problem of death. Now, my job today is to flag up, to highlight, and to try and spotlight the issue. How I many of you know your birth is the beginning of your transition to death? We're all constantly living, Psalm 23, under the shadow of death. In the Bible, death is described in a number of ways. Here are a few. The last enemy. That's our verse today, right? First Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. In Matthew chapter 16, interesting verse. The Bible describes death as the gateway to the afterlife. You ever thought about this? This is a really common verse. Matthew 16, 18, the Lord Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church and the what? The gates of hell. What are they? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Well, I would argue that the gates speak of a doorway that leads somewhere. You know, you see that word hell in your Bible. You know how many words the Bible uses in the original language, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, for the word hell? There are four words. 
And every time you see the word hell, you've got to think, oh, I wonder which one of those words it's making reference to. So there's Hades, there's Gehenna, there's Sheol, and there's a really interesting one I wish I could spend time talking about, which I would normally, but Tartarus. And <clears throat> basically, there are differences between them, but I would argue that this particular word that's used in Matthew 16 is the word Hades, and it's descriptive of the realm of the dead. The realm of the departed. So what are the gates of hell? Well, they're an access point that leads to the realm of the departed. It's the gateway through which we enter into the next life, like a portal. You ever seen Stargate? All right, then. Another way the Bible describes this issue of death is that it's the wages for sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Now, if you could find a cure, I mean this, if you could find a cure for death, wouldn't you shout it from the rooftops? I mean... It'd be like a cure for cancer. I mean, that would be an understatement. A cure for cancer would be an understatement. Like, a cure for death? I mean, if you had a cure for death, you wouldn't need a cure for cancer. Now, imagine if you could come up with a cure, let's say for boredness. Right? You know, you'd be a multi, not even millionaire. You'd be a billionaire overnight, right? And, um, but... Um, but, you know, it's like, you know, long gone... Actually, they have come, they have come up with something... Man laughing. So you can laugh. Man got full head of hair. Man like me ain't laughing. But you know what I mean? It's all right. It's all right. Don't worry. Your time soon come. <laughs> so that's my cynical, bald head, bad mind, envy coming out there. Sorry. But you know, long gone are the days of wigs. They used to call them syrup, right? Syrup fig. Where's this thing? Because they look twisted and you just can tell, right? People don't bother with that. And even hair transplants. You know, like Rooney got like a hair transplant and they get hair and they, 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 they put the follicles in back in your scalp and then they grow back really expensive. But how many of you heard of micropigmentation? Oi. Yo. Wow. Micropigmentation, you know. Look at this brother. He's, a, he's, he's in a bit of a bad way, right? I'll be like, bro, you should just shave the whole thing off and done, right? But listen, I'm going to show you now a picture with my with micropigmentation. You ain't even going to believe it's the same. Brother, look at this guy. Oi! All the ladies say, oi! And all the brothers are like, mm. All the barley brothers are like, micropigmentation. And you know, it's like a tattoo, where they tattoo the hairs really, really fine. What hairs? Like, tattoos of hairs on your head. And look at this brother. Oh, you can't even really see. Oh, the, the, the thing don't do it justice. My man's got a nice shape up. Looks really decent where he's kind of lost a lot of his hair there. And you might have even noticed, you ever seen Andre, uh, and, is it Andreas Townsend? He's had it done. And I mean, like, people are like, how, wait, how comes it? Oh, micropigmentation. That's what happened. And it's now a multi-million pound industry. I'm like... That's one thing. But imagine if you could come up with a cure for death. Imagine if you could come up with the elixir of life, like the golden chalice, you know, the holy grail, <laughs> like they tried to find in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, we have found it, that is. And we want to take the next four weeks to argue exactly that. Um, just to show you where we're going, you can see today's message is the definition of death, um, the last enemy by way of introduction. Next week, the origination of death, the death of humanity. Number three, the distinctions or the different types of death, particularly physically and physical and spiritual. Then we're going to talk about the demands of death, the death of Christ. And then we're going to talk about the destruction of death, death defeated. Hallelujah.
So today's message, the first in the series, <clears throat> the death of death. And the message is the last enemy, the definition of death. <clears throat> now, to give you a bit of context for the one verse that we're kind of fundamentally going to look at, 1 Corinthians 15, anybody know fundamentally what that whole chapter is talking about? Anybody? Thank you. Who said resurrection? The resurre- that, ho- that whole chapter, the resurrection. And I remember one year, I think it was 2013, we'd done a whole series where we walked through 1 Corinthians 15, taking uh, like a few verses at a time, walked through the whole chapter in like four or five weeks. And um, the resurrection, a miraculous response to death. It's life after death. And the beginning of this chapter, chapter 15, again, because I'm not really going to spend much time on the verse. Let me at least give you the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 starts off um, in the first section of the chapter, verse 1 to 11. Starting at, actually, I'm going to read verse 3 to 8. It says, says Paul, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received from Christ. Um, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures. He fulfilled what they spoke about, that he was buried, and this is in the Old Testament, he was raised on the third day, the resurrection, in accordance with the scriptures. It's like, it's, there's nothing new here. This was all already predicted and prophesied. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is who? Peter. Then to the 12, the other disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Just to make sure there weren't no dispute in it. Most of whom are still alive. So you can go and ask them, at least at the time of the writing of this particular epistle, this letter. Right? They're still alive. Though some have, what? Fallen asleep. We'll come back to that term. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all. As to one untimely born, another translation says, born out of due season, he appeared also to me, that is Paul, the apostle. The resurrection of Christ. The second section of 1 Corinthians 15, remember, this is talking about the resurrection. I'm just trying to support that argument. Verse 12 to 34, which contains our section. Verse 14 says, and if Christ <clears throat> has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. Like, we, we shouldn't even be here today, you know what I'm saying, if Christ hasn't been raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And I'd add, and anyone and everyone who sleeps in him will be also raised from the dead. And the question comes on the heels of that is, well, what kind of body? Well, there's going to be a supernatural science fiction type body that an individual will receive. <clears throat> Which brings us to the next section of 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection body. Verse 35 to 49. I picked out verse 42 and 44. So, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. I'm trying to say that, you know what? The Bible is replete with references to death. The last section of 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection, which is the wonderful response to death, Verse 50 to 58 talks about the mystery and the victory with reference to the resurrection. The mystery or the mysterious implications of Christ's resurrection and subsequently the resurrection of those who put their faith in him. Verse 51 to 53 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. There's that word again. It's actually a reference to death. But sleep because... When you actually die, you don't cease to exist. In a sense, you're actually sleeping and you will wake up again. The question is where, isn't it? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. 
For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed, speaking of believers. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And then the victory that comes as a result of Jesus' resurrection, death is swallowed up, verse 54, in victory. You see the references to death? The Bible don't duck the issues. If anything, it deals with them head on, but in a way that is, is incomparable to any other writing. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Imagine being able to speak to, you know, death is a done gorgon, right? Death is a boss. And you're going to say to death, where's your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Both of these contribute to supporting the reality of death. Verse 57, that's a fact. But, verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who did what? Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that's an outline of 1 Corinthians 15, just so that we don't just jump in and look at the verse and jump out again. Death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus has abolished death. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus says, I will build my church and death will not prevail against it. The death of death. Now, hopefully you're in 1 Corinthians 15 to some degree. And what I tend not to do is put up the verses that we're actually looking at because I want you to look at them with me, right? So no point looking at the screen. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now we start where we're going to end up in this series in fact, Christ has been raised from... It's like, give away the punchline before we get there. But you all know it anyway, right? And if you don't, you could read ahead. Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul states that it's a fact. At his time, he could say, go ask the guys that saw him for themselves, that touched him, whose hands have handled and seen him, the word of life. It's a fact, and every time you date a check, even though we don't write checks nowadays, right, and you put the date in the top, and I'm saying, what's the date? 4th of March, 2018. 2018. Every time you open a newspaper, you open a metro and on a train going to, to work, and you see the date, 28, it's 2018. It's like, like Jesus marks time. I mean, I mean that's an that's a, that's a absolute rock-solid argument in itself. And if everything before him is BC, everything after it, even though they're trying to change that now, right? Mm. You can't change the facts. You can't hide them. You can't deny them. You can put out fake news, but you can't change the facts. Paul states that it's a fact at the beginning of verse 20, and we would agree, which gives us as believers hope to see the reality of the second fact that he states in verse 20. He says, Christ, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this is a reference to believers who have died in Christ. Looking forward to the hope that in the same way he rose from the dead, that we shall also raise from the dead. Because all we've done when we die is just go to sleep. You know, during the Jewish Harvest Festival, the first offering um, was an indicator of the harvest that which was to come. So they'd get some of the sheaves at the beginning of the harvest and they'd offer it up as a sacrifice to God in thanks for the rest of the harvest that is coming. And... Um, that's what they call the first fruits offering. And it was an indicator or a sample 
of that which was to come. So in similar fashion, Jesus is the first fruits offering, if you like, the sample. And resurrected believers are there for the harvest. So fallen asleep, which is synonymous with, with death, it only describes this temporary nature of sleep that we're going to awake from. So like my sister said earlier, this whole YOLO, you only live once business is actually a lie. And it's a lie that people live their lives by. It shouldn't be YOLO. It should be YALT. Not Y-O-L-O. It should be Y-A-L-T. You actually live twice. You should get a t-shirt. Where's Jason? You know, Jason's the man for coming up with t-shirt ideas. There's an idea for you, bro. YOLO and cross out the O's and put an L and a T. See, the fact is, we all eventually will go to sleep at some point, only to be eventually awakened. Now, although many <clears throat> deny the reality of death, many are actually benefiting from this phenomenon. I don't know if you've heard about what's going on in Jamaica right now. There's a whole heap going on in Jamaica. There's a whole heap going on around the world, but I've often got my eye on Jamaica, right? The Jamaica Star, and this is not even fake news, like this is, the Jamaica Star reported criminals in St. James, which is a parish in Jamaica, right? It's split up into parishes. Criminals in St. James are getting high on embalming fluid, which is said to be influencing the brazen manner in which they carry out crimes. Now, embalming fluid, I've got the picture of there of a deceased corpse. It's what they rub the corpse with to preserve it. This is in addition to these thugs indulging in devil worshipping and engaging in blood sacrifices. Greg Smith, a former gang member from Montego Bay, said he unknowingly inhaled the fluid, which has the street name Leak, L-E-A-K. He told the star that he was under the influence of the drug that led him to partake in several criminal activities. It is called wet or leak, and it's sprayed on a spliff or a cigarette, put in the sun to dry, and given to the young protégés who were then sent out to commit murder. He said, quote, their body is controlled. It's actually in Patois, but I, 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 I translated it. Their, it. Quote, their body is controlled by the drug, and it messes with their brain so they can walk up to anyone and kill them because they're not thinking straight. It turns them into zombies. And I've heard reports of individuals who are on this particular quote-unquote drug. You'll have a police officer, like, firing rounds at an individual, and they're still coming. Still coming towards you. Like, you empty the clip, and they're still, like, they don't feel the pain. It's terrifying. He says, according to Smith, leak this quote-unquote drug, is in high demand among gangsters. Smith told the Daily Star that gangsters, watch this, gangsters purchase the embalming fluid from persons who work in the funeral homes. It's actually become, apparently, a big business. You might have heard about the, the murders in Montego Bay. They're saying that a part of it, not all of it, a part of it is influenced by these funeral homes selling embalming fluid to individuals, why? <laughs> it, it indirectly, actually, it directly encourages murder, which means more funerals, which is good for business. <laughs> Others are benefiting from the phenomena of death. Um, on a more lighter note, Pure Gym. Benefiting. Man, I've got Pure Gym membership. <laughs> Bro. I think I've been three times in a year. My wife keeps on cussing me, talking about, you need to be a better steward, you know, of your money. Like, listen, listen, to, I said, listen, to, listen, to, listen to much faster, E. <laughs> but she's, it's, it's right though, isn't it? You know what I mean? I'm gonna have to cancel my subscription. Car. But they're benefiting, and the whole vegan thing gone clear. Um, most, a lot of us now, we don't even drink milk or dairy products. We're, we're going to that, that section is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger where they're pr providing um, oat milk and um, soya. You know, as fellas, we don't, don't drink too much of the soya, you know. 
car, you end up with man boobs and because it's got, it's got estrogen in it. You know what I mean? And we've got to be careful of that. So drink the oat one. That's a better one. And the, and the almond one. That's a, the almond one. That's a better. The ladies can drink the, 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 the soya all day. <laughs> Especially if you're um, getting through menopause. Um, um, only, only the older ladies, only the older folk are going to get that. I said to someone the other day, I said to someone, you know that I'm one of the oldest people in my church. I think there's only two people in our church, three people, tell a lie, in our church that's older than me. They said, what? What kind of church is it? I said, Mr. Carnegie, Mama Shirley, uh, Mommy Sarah. Oh, and my cousin Mikey P. At you. Yeah. So I just probably make the top five, maybe. I don't know. Byron, bro, I'm older than you. Trust me. It's true you don't know. I'm a bigger man to you still. So. <laughs> oh, and Kane. All right. Um, now, this is why my messages always tend to be so long. Um, I said to Pastor E, at one, I've not prepared an exorbitant, an exorbitant amount of notes, and two, I, I don't have the energy. Um, how long have we been going now? 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Does this feel long? Yeah, you said somebody, somebody said yes, you know. Feels long. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see, if, let's see if we can do something about that. Yeah. Man just man looked me straight and said, yeah. <laughs> and at first, I never even recognized you. Look how big you get. Wow. Big young man. How old are you now? 11. Wow. Where was we? Right. Those who benefit from this phenomena of death, fitness trackers, those who create these sports watches, Fitbit and whatnot, all the rage, right? All attempts to preserve life, isn't it? We've got a friend whose name is John Wells. Any of you heard of John Wells? John Wells is his government name. His MC name is The Tonic. Used to be a member, I was still a member of the Cross Movement who did rap a couple decades ago. Like, and um, rap, used to rap when kind of we used to rap. And um, he brought out an album a number of years ago, and the album is called The Dash. And initially, you hear The Dash, you think, oh, it's a race. Oh, it's a Christian race, Christian MC. Um, but no, actually, The Dash is... <clears throat> it's that little hyphen between your birth date and your death date. And The Dash in the middle represents and describes and sums up the whole of your life. James says, the book of James in the, in the New Testament says, what is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. The way I describe that is, you know when you go in the kitchen and you, you switch on the kettle, you, you get out a cup and you put some sugar in it and you switch on the kettle. And by the time you get the milk and so on, the, the kettle's boiling, you turn around to get the spoon. By the time you look back, the steam's gone. That describes our life. It's here for a minute and it's gone the next. You know, when I was in hospital a couple of weeks ago, I got moved a couple of times in the wards and I thank God for the NHS. I mean, there's a lot that can be said about the NHS, but boy, they took care of me. And I couldn't even understand. The food was nice. I actually enjoyed the food. Um, maybe it was because the week before, I, did, I don't think I ate for the whole week. You can tell I lost a little bit of weight. I needed to lose a bit of weight anyway, but... I was in this ward, and a new guy came into the ward, and um, there were a couple of much, much older gentlemen, and it must have been in their 70s and their 80s, really unwell. But then this young guy came in, a young black guy. I say young. I found out he was actually two years older than me. And um, so I stick with a young guy came in, and when he came, initially I thought, you know what, I must go and maybe just go and have a chat with him, you know what I mean? And... Um, so I kind of plucked up a little bit of courage because even though I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher and a teacher, I still struggle to share the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you. And so I'm there and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to have to try and speak to this brother. And, and you know I mean, try to play it a bit cool and that. And you know what I mean? And so never really rushed into it. You know how we do, right? So just look for an appropriate moment and just started to strike up a conversation with him. And I was like, because actually what happened was he was trying to find some comfort 
in terms of sleeping. It must have been about 10, 11 at night, and he couldn't sleep. And the only position he could find little comfort was to lean forward. And <clears throat> that enabled his breathing, which was really raspy and um, rattly. At, the, at that point, I wasn't aware. But I said, bro, I said, you're right, man. He goes, oh, struggling, bro, struggling to breathe. And, and, um, <clears throat> and so just tried to have a little chat with him, tried to dis distract him from that and we started to talk about who we were and what we do and we got both got a history in music he was a dj actually quite a well-known dj and um cut the long story short i said i said to him i said i said i said bro i said have you got any kind of religious persuasion you know what i mean because like it seems like kind of everybody does or or they definitely don't nowadays I, like and he said well he says yeah yeah i used to go to church and that when i was little but ain't really kind of been involved in it and conversation went on and and he goes oh there's so many different religions anyway it's all confusing and I said I said I said yeah for real it can be confusing and I said I don't want to add to your confusion but I said I've got a perspective that I'd really love to share with you if you'd give me the opportunity you know what I mean and he was like yeah of course no problem but true the guy was struggling to breathe you know what I'm saying it wasn't the appropriate time for me to go in you know what I mean so I just thought okay so the next day so I went to bed, and so the next day I saw him, and we started chatting again. And then what they did was they moved me out of that ward. So they moved me out of this ward onto another ward, and I just, I just, I just sent him a text just to say, like, Alfie, how you doing, bro? You know what I mean? My wife sent me a text. How's it? Um, I'm like, Alfie, how's things? And he's like, oh, it's been a rough night. Da, 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 da. So cool. The next day, I get discharged from the hospital. And a couple of days, I'm still kind of struggling with my own thing, so I completely forgot. A couple of days later, I'm thinking, let me, let me text Alfie and find out how he said. I sent him a WhatsApp. I was like, Alfie, how you doing? What's going on, brother? I want to come and see you, Carl. In my mind, I just want to have this follow-up conversation, innit? So I didn't get a re response. And then I think the next day, I got a response that looked weird. And it was, oh, I'm responding on the behalf of Alfie, Alfie who passed away. And it was the day I got discharged is actually when he passed away. That night when he was breathing the way he was breathing, they call it the death rattle. And when I said to him, like, what's going on with you? He said to me, this is the third time, bro. He says, I ducked cancer twice and it's come back and it's got me. He says, the whole of my, like, like all of my internal organs. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and he died. Like, death is real. And um, literally, as I'm standing here, my phone's buzzing. I've had probably about 200 messages with regards to his funeral and just trying to organize that. And um, this week, I've not got just Alfie's funeral. I've got, I got two funerals I've got to go to this week. And one of them is the death of our CEO's son at London City Mission, 14 years old. How many of you know death is difficult enough when it comes quietly to a, a Christian saint in their twilight years? I mean, just what, this couple weeks, Billy Graham. You know what I mean? And in one sense, it's like, oh, but it's still difficult for his family. You know, it's difficult let alone a young person in the prime of life. I mean, look, 17 people murdered Stonemason Douglas High School in Florida, right? And I think like 14 out of 17 were all under 16, most of them under 14. How many of you know death is an invader? It's an intruder. It didn't originally exist as far as mankind was concerned, didn't relate to us. But then it did intrude into the garden, infiltrated and then violated. And now it's here to stay. Yet with all of its destructive influence, <clears throat> it's still subject to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 25 says, For he, speaking of Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
Now, this term, the last enemy, suggests that there were or are previous enemies, right? And the list is potentially endless. Genocide, violence, oppression, starvation, rape, homelessness, kidnapping, sex trafficking, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, youth crime, suicide. Now, most of these, sadly, are associated with death. But there will come a time when all of these things will come to an end. The last of which being death itself. Death is an enemy. It's a foe too strong for you and me. Verse 27 and verse 28 makes reference to Jesus and the extent of his authority. He is the one who's able, like MMA, to go into the cage and wrestle with death and exit victorious. Verse 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his, speaking of Jesus' feet. And the picture is of someone tapping out (laughs) or being brought to a place of submission or subjugation and subdued or conquered. In ancient wars, whenever a champion was victorious, he would place his foot on the neck of his enemy. And we see the same sentiment conveyed in Psalm 110, where it says, Jesus' enemies will be made his footstool. And the the greatest illustration I can give of that is David and Goliath. Israel have got this enemy that they cannot fight. He's formidable. And as they look at him, shaking. And it's not just the troops, the king too, shaking in fear of this ominous aggressor. And it's funny because you hear the story of David and often it's, okay, look, don't be like the Israelites because they're shook. Don't be a weakling. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Don't even be like the king who who reneged on his responsibility. You know what I'm saying? Be like who? Be like David. Here he comes to the rescue. Be like David. That's who you must be like. That's how you hear that message preached. That's not the way to preach that that section of the text. I would argue that that story, you know, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Like Old and New Testament. The way that story ought to be preached is, Yes, we are like the Israelite soldiers who are scared and terrified of an enemy that they can't defeat. That's us. That's who we are, David. No, you're not David. You're the soldier, the, 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 the terrified. You're King Saul, Robert. You think you're big things. And then two twos, a little thing happens like, my thing ain't mice or rats. I know some people, they're terrified of mice and rats. Them things don't trouble me. You know what I'm saying? I can see them. I'll grab them. Whatever. Spiders. Different thing. I would deal with them. Not because I want to. But because I have to. I can't go to sleep and I know that a spider's in the room. No. But I'm shook. So you're the king, Bro. Don't be palming off your armor onto somebody. You should be taking responsibility. But how many of you know those of us who have roles of responsibility? I'm a father. The dad's in here. You know what I'm saying? I'm a husband. Now, how many of you know those are two massive responsibilities? And often, Alighty, and, and often, I don't meet those requ- the requirements that are demanded of me as a husband and a father. I'm like, God, help me on a daily I'm the, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the nervous, scared, and terrified king. Here comes David, and he ain't scared. And he looks at Goliath, and he says, what, this, unser- like, how come no one ain't dealt with this uncircumcised fit? Who does he think he is? You know what I'm like, this guy that's bossy, you know what I mean, just swaggered off, like, what? And he comes, and he deals with Goliath. Now, the, the, the moral of the story is, David is a picture of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Remember, Jesus is the son of David. You know what I'm saying? He was the son of Abraham. 
Jesus is a, David is a picture of Jesus, the one who comes to rescue us from the enemy that we cannot defeat. That's how you preach that portion of First Samuel. Because ultimately what it does is, I'm, I'm reading through, you know the Jesus storybook Bible with Tyler. He's nine, he's nine and his brother Kyle. And it's beautiful because what this storybook does is it shows you Jesus on every page of the Bible, even in the Old Testament stories. And I'm able to say to him, you know what? You see the Bible? The Bible has lots of rules in it, but the Bible's not fundamentally a book about rules. You know, the Bible has lots of heroes in it. But the Bible's not fundamentally about all of these heroes. Name them. Samson, David, Solomon, name them. It's not fundamentally about them. It's about one hero. And every one of those stories, Old and New Testament, are supposed to point us to our Savior, the one who comes to rescue us. The whole Bible is about Jesus. A wonderful illustration of the conquest of Christ over our enemy, death. And notice, he doesn't just bring death into submission or defeat. I mean, that would be amazing. No. Verse 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus, he just, just don't overcome him. He destroys death. Remember Jesus on the cross. See, there's something permanent to this extensive work on, of Christ. Jesus on the cross in response to the repentant thief who came to his senses. It's a good thing. I mean, it's a good time to come to your senses, like when you're moments before death. And he comes to his senses, and the Lord Jesus turns to him and says, you know what, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, that statement's incredible, thank you, fellas, because what Jesus is basically saying is, you see, death, I'm a conquer it to the point where I can safely say to you quite confidently, today you will be with me in paradise as you transition through the gates of hell, Hades, into the nether regions. Jesus said it is finished on the cross and we're finished I've got two more verses I'm going to show you two sections Revelation 21 because it's good to see how all things are going to pan out verse 1 to verse 4 it's up on the screen it says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is a reflection. This is back to Eden. Do you remember that man, man started in a garden? And I'm saying in Genesis. Look at the book of Revelation. You see man now, not in a garden, but in a city. And what is similar is God was with Adam and Eve. And here, in the book of Revelation, God is with his people. It's paradise lost. Verse 4, middle of verse 3, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be, there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Isn't that encouraging? Okay, so earlier I mentioned three things that the Bible described about death. Let's finish on one that I didn't mention, and it's similar. The theme is similar to our text. <clears throat> that is everything being subject to Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, right under his feet, we spoke about in 1 Corinthians 15, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death. Imagine Jesus is going to conquer death by experiencing death. Let me not get ahead of myself in a series. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death 
for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons, including daughters, to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing praise. Quote from the Old Testament. Verse 13, and again, another quote. I will put my trust in him. And again, another quote. Behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Note verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death was subject to lifelong slavery. My last question is, are you willing to admit as you confront the reality of death, <clears throat> most importantly, your own death, I mean, it's only wisdom to consider. It's like a pension. People don't take out a pension early. They regret it later on in life. If you don't think about this issue of death, you potentially may regret it later on in life. And as you stare it straight in the eye, will you admit, like verse 15 says, potentially your own fear? If so, you're then able to receive the deliverance that comes through Jesus, the one who put death to death. I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come join me. And as they're coming, <clears throat> I'd like to pray. And as I do so, I'm going to read from 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 10. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, says Paul, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us. And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now have been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Father, thank you. For this incredible message of hope. Father, death is devastating in its effect. And Lord, I'm sure every single person in this room to some degree has experienced it. How incredible it is. Not a cure for cancer. Not a, a cure for men losing their hair, follically challenged. But the cure for death. And Father, I thank you for not just the, the clarity with which you provide us. The cure for the symptoms but the extensive nature with which you deal with this topic that we duck, deny, run from, don't want to face. Thank you for taking responsibility for us, but often we don't take it for ourselves. And even today, Lord, and through the next few weeks as we run up to that time where we celebrate once a year, specifically the resurrection of Jesus which answers all the questions. And so today, Lord, I pray that um, you would encourage our hearts, even in the face of a, a very difficult subject, um, that you'd encourage our hearts because of the good news that comes as a wonderful response to this bad news. Thank you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.